Well, a great temptation when you have a guest like Josh Linkner is to spend a good deal of your time giving his CV or curriculum vitae, then, in other words, telling you what his past has been, because there is so much to talk about. But we know from having talked with him in the past that the great fun is talking with Josh Linkner himself. So I'm just going to dive into this, Josh Linkner, and welcome you back to the Internet Advisor, and we'll pick up on the credits along the way. How are you doing, Josh? That sounds great. I'm doing great. <laughs> hey, Josh. Very good to talk to you again, and delighted to catch up with you now as you're, uh, you publish your second book that's out right now, and this one is called The Road to Reinvention, How to Drive Disruption and Accelerate Transformation. Is that taking up most of your time right now? You know, it's not. I mean, it's, a, it's obviously a time-consuming effort, but my full-time gig, as it is, is uh, running Detroit Venture Partners where my partners, Dan Gilbert, Brian Herman, and I are very focused on investing in early-stage tech companies to help rebuild Detroit through entrepreneurship. Yeah, I love that. You're kind of putting, putting your money where your mouth is, literally. Yeah, and, you know, Josh, I read your column uh, all the time in the free press, and uh, I have not yet read the book. I've skimmed it. I just got it because uh, I was out last week. Am I going to see a lot of... Uh, you know, what you've written in the free press columns uh, show up in the book, or is this something totally new? Well, thematically, I mean, there's certainly some alignment. Uh, the book is really about the idea of proactive reinvention, that success in business and in life, really, is never a permanent condition. It happens at one point in time in the context of many external factors. And so the book helps readers uh, reinvent their organizations, their communities, and their careers uh, in advance of having something bad happen. In other words, don't don't wait to respond to a negative circumstance when you can really be the architect uh, of the next chapter of your journey uh, proactively. And so it's fun. The book covers not only um, how to reinvent, but it also talks a lot about Detroit. It talks about the period when Detroit was very uh, full of reinvention and mm-hmm. we prospered. It talks about what happened when we failed to reinvent in the 50s and, and ultimately suffered greatly. And most importantly, it talks about the incredible reinvention that's happening uh, here as we speak. So uh, for any hometown readers, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, well, well, it's got great credits. Uh, Steve Case, <laughs> the co-founder of AOL, uh, and uh, Rick Snyder, our governor here in the state of Michigan, uh, Tom Lasorda, from uh, the CEO of Chrysler, and actually a couple other car companies in his past. Um, but as I'm looking at some of what you've written here, um, it really is about um, helping companies get more proactive. It, it talks about reinvention, but it's it's about proactive reinvention, as you state, right? It is, and it also demystifies the process. I mean, I think many people are reluctant to reinvent, first of all, because they don't want to disrupt the apple cart. And, of course, the, the apple cart will be disrupted whether we like it or not. But, but it also, uh, there, there's a myth that you have to be like some creative wizard in order to reinvent. Mm-hmm. And this takes a much more systematic approach. It, it identifies various aspects within an organization, such as product or service, process, uh, sales and distribution, uh, communication, and even corporate culture, and breaks them down one at a time and talks about some very specific ways to drive reinvention. And so what we're learning is that the best leaders, the most successful companies, the ones that enjoy uh, ongoing and sustainable success, they reinvent early and often. And this book is sort of a roadmap on how to do just that. Well, you use one key word there, Josh, that I think some people are kind of going, hmm? And that is the notion of disrupting being good, because it's kind of like uh, counterintuitive, I think, in many uh, and it, it goes uh, the wrong way for traffic on a one-way street for a lot of people's thinking because, well, wait a minute, disruption means stirring things up and, and, and twisting things around. Well, how did you decide that was a good thing to do? 
Well, it's, it's not only my decision. Um, that's what's playing out in our, in our turbulent times. You know, today we live in a world of dizzying speed and, and exponential complexity, right. uh, of course, fueled by ruthless competition. And what's happening is that no matter how successful we become, none of us can crack the code and, and prevent innovation from happening around us. In fact, the rate of change is happening today at a rate like none other in history. So it's, it's the responsibility, really, of leaders, uh, of people at all levels of the organization, to proactively disrupt. In other words, disrupt or be disrupted. It's funny, there's a funny saying in uh, the business lexicon about, you know, cannibalization. You don't want to cannibalize your business. Right. And to me, that's such a silly thing, because if you don't cannibalize it, somebody else <laughs> somebody, will. Somebody's got, somebody else whoever, has got the knife and fork out. And whoever does is going to be successful, right? That's exactly right. So a much better approach is to flip yeah. it upside down and, in fact, to be the cannibal. Uh, yeah. I'd argue that there will be a company that comes along and puts you out of business. Might as well be you. Yep. And hey, similarly with careers, you know, yeah. people are always looking to get ahead in their career, um, and it, you can't just rest on, on one point of success. At the very point of your highest success is exactly the time to be disruptive and mm. reinventing it. That's when you've got kind of the leisure to do it. Josh Linkner is our guest here. Josh, can you give us some examples, practical examples, uh, of the kind of thing you're talking about, this kind of disruptive mentality that leads towards reinvention from some businesses, perhaps, or some other aspects of uh, life here that we might understand? Sure. Uh, I mean, the classic example of failure to disrupt is, is Polaroid. So Polaroid was the instant photography leader for 50 years. Mm. And instead of proactively taking that, that incredible re- resources and momentum that they had, they, become sta- they became stale and stagnant. And as a result, you know, Instagram and Tumblr and everybody else just whizzed right past them, yeah. and the company ultimately succumbed to bankruptcy. And of course, that happened to you know, Pan Am Airlines and Oldsmobile and, yep. and, and so many other brands that we once knew and loved. Um, on the other hand, right here in our hometown, you look at the incredible work that's happening at, at General Motors. I mean, General Motors uh, was the poster child, if you will, for, for bureaucracy and you know, self-entitlement and, and felt they were untouchable. <laughs> and, of course, they suffered greatly. But, but today, um, despite some, some you know, current uh, bumps in the road, the company is really doing a tremendous job of reinventing itself. It went from needing a government bailout to building $27 billion in cash right. reserves. So this doesn't happen by accident. It happens by, by leaders willing to confront conventional wisdom, uh, defy tradition, and ultimately stick, the eye, uh, stick a finger in the eye of complacency. Now, when you, let's stick with the current GM situation then. When you've got a tragedy, if you will, happens, that uh, the new uh, leader steps in there, uh, Mary, uh, and, and suddenly she's confronted with this mess in front of her. Could that turn into, do you think, a, a point of disruption that could lead to a bigger and better GM? And I how? Think, I, I think it's going to, you know, it, it's sending the alarm bells appropriately, and I think that Mary and, and her leadership team are going to clean house and, and make sure that, um, you know, that, that the ball isn't hidden as it was in the past. It sort of, to me, this, this symbolizes the last little bit of the old GM, and I think that this will be a, an important milestone where mm. they make a sharp left turn and, and, and start creating a new funny, growing up in Detroit, I would always hear people at GM at all levels that I met, and they would refer to the company, they'd say they or them. <laughs> or, and now I finally hear people saying us and we that ah. work at that organization. So mm-hmm. I believe that a change is underway. I'm very optimistic, not only about General Motors and Ford and others in the auto industry, but about the incredible revitalization that's happening in our city as we diversify the economy and make it an attractive place to work, live, and play for young people as well. Yeah, well, and, go ahead. As as I'm looking, scanning the book here, you not only talk about these big disruptive moves, but you're talking about um, sometimes um, things that are maybe they're truly reinventing, but you're inventing something smaller. So it can be a lot of little steps too, can it? 
No, I'm glad you said that. That's such an important point because uh, the word reinvention even can be intimidating, and one might feel, gosh, if I don't yeah. completely reinvent my, every aspect of my business or life, then, then I'm failing. And it's not like that at all. In fact, most big breakthroughs are the result of lots of little experiments that uh, often fail, by the way, and you learn and you adapt and, and evolve. And then ultimately, the success of many small things lead to big, bigger breakthroughs. So what I want to really reinforce to, to listeners and readers is that um, reinvention isn't something that's inaccessible. In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's available to each of us if we take a very systematic and, and disciplined approach. What have been the reinvention points in your life, Josh Linkner? Well, from a career standpoint, I started my career as a jazz musician. <laughs> and I played real traditional jazz guitar, reinvented myself to become a tech entrepreneur, um, built and sold four tech companies over the last 20 years, then reinvented myself again and became a venture investor and an author. So, uh, and, and who knows what the next chapter may be. So, uh, it's, it's funny, when I, when I meet people, and by the way, to, to be clear, I've failed many times too. I've had all kinds of setbacks and, and, and screw-ups. So it's not that um, this is something that is only for a select few. Each of us really have within our grasp uh, a wide, wide opportunity to reinvent. Would you? I'm sorry. Just quick, one quick question because we're going to come back up on a break shortly, and I'm going to talk about other things uh, in just a little bit. Would you see a person like Elon Musk as be kind of a perfect example of what you're talking about? Well, he's certainly reinvented tremendously, but but other people have in a less uh, dramatic way, but still made a huge difference in their lives and their communities. Yeah, I was talking about the man who has Tesla motors and has got a space program going. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk about how you became the kind of guru that you are. <laughs> Josh Linkner is our guest here. We've had him on a number of times before and are delighted to have him right now. So stay tuned to the Internet Advisor. More with Josh Linkner in a moment. It's our pleasure to be talking with Josh Linkner, who's been with us on other occasions here on the Internet Advisor. Delighted to have him back again. And by the way, if you go to internetadvisor.net, our homepage, you'll see lots of information about his books, uh, both Discipline Dreaming, his first uh, bestseller on the New York Times bestselling list, and his current one, The Road to Reinvention, How to Drive Disruption and Accelerate Transformation. Josh, I have to tell you, however, that for me... Uh, one of the biggest um, benefits you brought to my life over the past couple of years have been your daily uh, the, the email links that I get, and I think they also appear in the free press as well. How did you get so smart? Geez, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I, I'm quite the opposite. I think there's so many more smart people out there. I just try to simplify things. And, uh, you know, we live in a world of, of incredible complexity, and sometimes synthesizing it down into something that, that is easy for 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 we normal folk to understand uh, is really is really the key to communication. Was well, Josh, I, I, I think the uh, the real key because I do the same thing. Foster and I were comparing notes here off uh, during the commercial, and I quote you <laughs> from your columns and from your first book. And the reason I do is because it it's easy to understand. Yep. You put it in simple terms and and simple terms to remember. People can get it. You can tell them a few things. So I have people repeating those were, those terms back to me now and and mm-hmm. to know where they came from. I'm not even sure if they knew or remember where they came yeah. from, but it's it's helped. So uh, the, thank you, and yeah. I'm sure a lot of other people have the same experience. That's so nice of you to say. I mean, honestly, the reason I write in, in, in both the free press and, uh, and, and books and the like is, uh, is to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, you know, certainly we can measure success in a lot of ways, but uh, to me it's, it's about the impact that you make. And if I can provide an insight that is helpful to people and, and makes, makes people you know, see things more clearly or provides a new opportunity, um, boy, that's, that's what you look back and feel great about. Well, you, you know, when I saw um, Scott Dorsey's comment about who is the um, CEO and co-founder of Exact target and he talks about how you offer a clear process for ongoing creative disruption and then i look in the book and and i see 
Tools for Transformation, Six Habits for Reinvention, and you talk about, you know, some simple things like weekly planning, but then you go on and explain why that's so important and how you do it and how you do it really to help, you know, drive kind of that creative reinvention that you talk about and reflection and learning and, and gratitude. These are great, uh, great concepts. Uh, Thanks so much. I mean, the thing that's you know such a myth about creativity is that it's uh, it's only for a few people. Like mm-hmm. one out of a thousand lucky people have a lightning bolt at, bolt at birth, and the rest of us have to suffer. The research says otherwise. The research says that creativity, in fact, is eighty five percent learned behavior. And so, when you really boil it down, what that means is that all of us have this incredible gift. That's the one thing that levels the playing field. You know, that's the uh, has really become the currency of success. It's the one thing that can't be outsourced, and it's our one source of, of sustainable competitive advantage. Whether you're talking about a business, a community, or a career. So, to me, uh, the message isn't one of oh, you have to be some you know crazy wizard genius. It's, it's that all of us, uh, no matter what our backgrounds may be, have an opportunity to drive meaningful change in, in the positive way um, by deploying our, our own gift of human creativity. I'm still I'm curious how you went from being a jazz guitarist, which is not a it's a nonverbal kind of thing, to being somebody who has got this ability to synthesize things and express them, as Gary was saying, so succinctly. How did you make that jump? Or was it a jump? Well, funny enough, I mean, jazz music was a wonderful business teacher for me. Um, because really? the uh, elements of a jazz combo are very much like what we face in the business world every day. You have to improvise. You have to move forward uh, in the face of ambiguity. You have to make tough decisions. You have to go out on a limb. Sometimes you're taking a leading role, and other times it's about listening and supporting others. Hmm. And so, ironically, even though you know using words instead of notes, um, it was a very easy transition. And the things that I learned playing music really enabled me to win in the business world. It's funny, I think more and more of that is happening. I've heard people say that MFA, the uh, Masters of Fine Arts, is the new MBA. In an era where many quote-unquote hard skills have become commoditized, um, this type of innovative thinking is the thing that makes uh, individuals and organizations really stand out and prosper. And that ability to think outside the box. Yeah, you know, and uh, Josh, I know that uh, you're a big proponent of STEM, scientific technology, uh, engineering, and math, and the way we teach our kids today. But a lot of people are talking about STEAM and adding arts education in there as well. And that's what you're talking about, aren't you? I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about the educational system, not because of teachers. I mean, teachers are heroes, but, but we live in a system that, that's so outdated. And all this business about teach to the test and no kid getting left behind, yeah. what's happening is that all our kids get left behind. But they're, not <laughs> learning on, uh, they're not learning how to think creatively and how to solve problems uh, without an operating manual. And so to me, I think it's one of the most important challenges of our day. Funny story about that, you know, I, I used to love Legos as a kid. And I would get a box of Legos, and there were all these random pieces. And the act of Legoing was to build something with your imagination. Um, a couple years ago, I built a Lego Death Star project with my son, Noah, who's now 16. And instead of using your imagination, there was literally a phone book thickness operating manual that told us with 190 steps where to put every specialized piece. And to me, that concept oh is stunning. We're kind of going in the opposite direction, and what we really need to be doing is mm-hmm. fostering uh, the imagination and creative thinking. Well, I think your book should be be required reading for any high school yeah. student, and by the way, any student. And uh, at age fifty, I'm, so, I'm still a student. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, who's listening to you in in among the people who are putting the new Detroit together? Well. Um, 
you know, the, the new efforts in Detroit, I think for the first time that I can remember, certainly, are, are really, there's alignment and collaboration. Uh, and I'm so privileged to work with uh, Dan Gilbert, who's, who's playing a tremendous leadership right. role. Uh, I think Mayor Duggan is doing an outstanding job. I feel that, you know, we, well, we maybe had the perfect storm that was very negative and brought us down. It's almost like we're having the perfect sunshine, uh, where we've got finally collaboration, we've got uh, philanthropic organizations, the business community, mm-hmm. the federal and state government all aligned. And yeah, we're, we're going to disagree at points on, on, on various tactics. But I think finally our, our city is heading in the right direction. I'm so optimistic. And I, I have a front row seat. I see it every day. I get calls from people. Hey, I'm living in Boston. I used to live in Michigan. I want to come back. I hear what's happening there. Mm. And uh, we're seeing this reverse migration uh, right in the central business district. We have 99% residential occupancy. Wow. Developers can't bring on product fast enough to meet demand. So it is yeah. an exciting time in the city of Detroit. And I truly believe we'll be looking back at this five-year stretch as the greatest turnaround story in American history. I, it's interesting you mentioned that, Josh. I was talking to a young restaurateur yesterday, and he has his eye on coming back into the central city. But he's having a hard time finding a place to get in because, and he is a wonderful, it's a place called Fuego Grill, which is out in East Dearborn. Uh, it's a Mexican restaurant, but superb food. And, and we were talking about yesterday, he's having a hard time finding a place to fit in downtown because the properties are all becoming so precious down there. Well, the good news is that there's a lot of development. I mean, Capital Park, for example, which, you know, most of those storefronts are still vacant. Uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are being poured into it. That's going to be a, an arts-type district. And hopefully, you know, our friends at Flago will, will come join the fun. But uh, yeah. I think that, that any slowdown isn't that it's all gobbled up. It's just temporary. You know, you have to, yep. you have to rebuild a city that had fallen so low one step at a time. Um, but again, I'm so optimistic. I mean, I see it in the faces of the young entrepreneurs that we back that are passionate about change, that are passionate about making a difference. And, and they see a real opportunity to not only make money, but to make a difference. And that do well and do good concept mm. is, is alive and well in Detroit. Well, you know, one of the attributes that you talk about uh, in your book is grit. And when you think about what we have here. And, you know, we started with these great entrepreneurial companies many years ago that have now become big, big companies. We've got this same thing happening again with a lot of entrepreneurial companies that really have, and that grit is kind of in their blood. They know how to to, to persevere. Well, you couldn't have said it better. It's funny, I I have the opportunity to interact with entrepreneurs all over the country and venture capitalists uh, all over the country. And I'll tell you, we, we in Detroit maybe have a couple disadvantages, but the one advantage that we have in, 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 in that's plentiful is that grit, the sense of purpose, of drive, of resiliency, of mm. perse- perseverance. And I'll put one Detroiter, uh, one Detroit entrepreneur against 10 in Silicon Valley, and I, I think we'll win every time yep, because, I agree. well, they're smoke, you know, drinking their mocha frappuccino lattes. <laughs> We're doing the hard work of building real companies. <laughs> We're taking it with skim milk. I, I, if you were outside looking at coming into Detroit, what are some of the other things that would would say to you, this is a great place to take a chance on something? You know, it's cool. We, we've had entrepreneurs um, move here, move their companies here for the opportunity. And I really think that uh, this is the best place in the country to build a great entrepreneurial uh, company. You know, we, don't, we know now that you don't need a Silicon Valley zip code to have a great tech firm. And uh, when you compare and contrast, we have, you know, far lower costs for real estate, far lower costs for talent, uh, much more plentiful talent, really, when you think about the, the far fewer number of companies competing for that talent. 
Uh, we have access to media. We have a great airport. We're centrally located. And um, the very act of being in Detroit as an entrepreneur is one of entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and almost defiance. In other words, it's very easy to follow the herd and get lost in the shuffle in Silicon Valley or Boston. But, but a, a Detroit entrepreneur, just the fact that they chose Detroit, to me, really speaks to the grit and the entrepreneurial spirit uh, that, that it takes to build a great company. So, well, you know, Silicon Valley, we celebrate the great work that's happened in the past. Sure. Um, I think that the, the, the new flag is going to rise from the city of Detroit. And uh, we're going to look at this, this region once again, just like we did 100 years ago, mm. as a beacon of opportunity and innovation. Yeah, last question for you. By the way, we've been talking with Josh Linkner, who is uh, the author of a number of books. Uh, this one, this most recently came out called The Road to Reinvention, How to Drive Disruption and Accelerate Transformation. What's your next biggest challenge? Well, I want to spread the message about reinvention, that, that it's something that we can all embrace. And uh, other than that, you know, being heads down in, in the incredible revitalization of Detroit, uh, I'm so proud of the work that's happening all around me. It's, it's fun to play a small role in it. And for any of us to have the opportunity, the privilege, to leave our fingerprints on the turnaround of a great American city, uh, it's, it's, it's a responsibility but an incredible opportunity. So I just feel so fortunate to be able to make a difference in my hometown. Thanks, Josh.